0: Welcome to a Tell Me More episode of Tell Me What You Know. Today we're racing back to the Cannonball Run with the man responsible for a resurgence of Cannonball Run interest, Ed Bullion. Ed set the Cannonball Run record in 2013 with a time of 28 hours and 50 minutes, a time that required averaging a speed of 100 miles an hour across the whole country. Crazy still as that is, the record has since been broken. We ask Ed how he got interested in the Cannonball. What's it like to drive across the country like that, and how this unique part of car culture has changed since his record breaking run? Let's jump into it.
1: I, like most car enthusiasts, learned about Cannonball from the movies and thought that, well, that was a real thing in the past after some further research, but there wasn't really anything going on. And it was uh, an idea that possessed me enough to take the risks, invest the money, buy the car, and, and go out and obviously. Said the record, but the community side of it didn't really exist at that point, and I always kind of yearned for this uh, this idea of a cannonballers community. I called it a fraternity of lunatics. Which at the time of most of the interviews that I was doing about it back in 2013, kind of in the wake of our record, was very very small. I mean, there were a handful of people that immediately contacted me, kind of expressing that they intended to try talking about some of the other drives they did and. And really, you know, plan A and immediate initiative was try to bring as many of these people together as I could so that, you know, I would have other people to talk to about this. Because most of these stories, like, people get tired of hearing in your circle of friends and family. (laughs) So we started to do that. And that's when I got in touch with John Ficarra, who had had been organizing the 2904 for a couple of years at that point, but they hadn't done all that many drives. And and it wasn't all that serious you know they were doing 36 37 38 hours in old hoopty cars and it was it was a lot of fun and it was interesting with the outfits and you know movie cars they were replicating and stuff like that but you know those paths kind of converged and then the 2015 running of the 2904 was really the first you know fairly large very competitive running that that had ever happened And since then, we've obviously seen the C2C Express grow Mm -hmm. and, you know, all the cultures sort of merge into what, you know, today's cannonballing community looks like.
0: I mean, when you look at cannonball and think about it, after you broke the record in 2013 and not really, you know, really couldn't have guessed how much, um, you know, publicity it got and how much interest it got, why do you think that is? Like, what what do you think it was about... um, about your run or maybe how you did it that it made it so appealing or, or so c- it was able to connect you with so many people?
1: Well, I always just attribute it to a fairly slow news week. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, to me, I think that it, it captivates something in all of us because we've all been on road trips trying to see, you know, how far we could go between stops or how much we could, you know, what kind of speeds we could sustain. So it's a caricature of the Great American Road Trip in a way that I think most people can relate to. And there's enough of a nod to history to make the deviance a little bit socially acceptable. So mm-hmm. it's not seen as like the most offensive accosting of, of you know, humanity along the roads. It's it's generally seen as kind of cheeky fun and, you know, maybe a little bit irresponsible. But, they you know, it doesn't take long in the discussion to express the preparation that goes into it. And that tends to calm people down. So it, it's one of those things that most people have thought of, like, I wonder how fast I could go point A to point B. And this just takes it, you know, to the moon and back. So, or at least to Portofino and back. And <laughs> I, I love what it what it can represent for the everyman. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I tried to focus on in my book is like, For me, Cannonball was that thing to chase. It was that crazy goal that nobody really understood. And even when you told somebody about it, it seemed like you were talking about trying to capture and train a pet dragon in your backyard. Like it's not relatable on the front end, but on the back end, when people see what the achievement meant, the attention that it got, the platform that it created, and what it represented in terms of my personal growth – through the period of exploration, I think that makes it something that can be inspirational. It can be something that people relate to enough to say, all right, well, I don't care anything about driving across the country fast, but I have always wanted to, you know, build my own wooden boat or hike the Appalachian Trail or Mm -hmm. just, you know, quit my job and go live on the beach and, you know, serve drinks out of some tiki bar for the next two years. Whatever the crazy thing is, that you never have the guts to do that's cannonball. For me, and I think it's allowed a lot of those kind of discussions with people of if you had if you ignored all the reasons not to, what is that thing you would do?
0: Yeah, everyone's got a cannonball.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's
2: pretty cool. So, I am admittedly less knowledgeable about the fact I, about the, the the whole cannonball experience i've gotten gotten most of my information secondhand from michael so i hope he's correct in all of this uh, i'm sure he is often not well, we indoctrinated him
1: recently <laughs> that's right
2: that's right uh, i mean you can't stop talking about it it's great so I, i've heard a lot about it um I for myself, I mean, I can be on a four hour drive and I go crazy just having to sit there for four hours. I can't imagine doing, you know, 25 to 35 hours in a car. What, what are you doing in there to to keep yourself busy? Are you just completely focused on the drive? Do you listen to music? Do you guys play any like you play? I spy with your, (laughs) with your co-pilot or something. What, uh, what's, what's the, what's going on there?
1: There's none of that. It honestly, it is, it is all mission oriented and that, that, both maintains like a steady adrenal high while also, you know, ensuring whatever safety is possible. So, sure. you know, you're, you're still on the roadway with thousands of other users, but at the same time you are encountering everything as a team. So you've got a co-driver, you've got a passenger, and you're all engaged in the task of driving. Sure. You know, a little while at a time, what third person's going to doze off and take a nap and, and try to stay fresh. But it's, it really is a team effort, and there really is a lot of information to digest. Because even if a turn's coming up at 150 miles, like it's still on your radar, and just making sure that you're understanding exactly what your segment averages are looking like, how the car's behaving, keeping an eye on everything. Obviously, in the drive we just did, Michael and I, we we were in this old Lexus that was entirely untested, so yes. every you know, a little while, it's going to make a strange noise that you've got to kind of diagnose on the fly and say, is this of any consequence or are we good to keep going? Right. And so there's a lot of variables to process and there's a lot of information coming into the car. So boredom was never really a concern.
2: That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot more sense hearing your explanation for it for sure. It kind of, it kind of answered my next question as well. I was going to, when you were actually going for the record, not just on one of these 2904s or C2Cs or whatever, um, is, is this, so? and I think you've already answered the question, but is this something that you're thinking about the entire way? Like, Do you have markers on the road to, to kind of compare your time to previous times, or is it you're just trying to do your best drive possible?
1: In most cases, what we see is that people set out with an average in mind, mm-hmm. and you're doing your best to make each segment average exceed that. So in case something happens or you encounter some sort of calamity, a tire blows or anything like that, You've got time to change it, deal with that, and then still end up where you want to be at the finish line. So, the, it, all of the the execution is totally a reflection of the planning. Nobody just goes out there and accidentally realizes two thirds of the way in that they've got a shot at this, and they press all the way through. <laughs> right? They've all you know planned for years and built cars specifically for this purpose, and it's a pretty unique you know suite of countermeasures and electronics and, and car preparation to, to make a car eligible for something like this, or at least competitive. And so for us, I I knew where I needed to be. We vastly exceeded that in the first, you know, 500, 800 miles. And then kind of were like, well, what do we do now? Because we didn't really know how to dial it back 20 or 30 miles an hour in terms of our cruising speed, which would have been, you know, probably five miles an hour in our, you know, real segment averages. We just kind of kept pushing. And Mm -hmm. Dave Black, my co-driver, and I got pretty competitive about, you know, (laughs) who could sustain the highest averages, the longest, who was most, uh, you know, effective and useful as a spotter from the passenger seat. And that all just went really, really well. So sometimes you find yourself kind of exceeding expectations, uh, and then you, you know, you just don't know where, if, if the other shoe's ever going to drop.
0: Um, you and I have kind of talked about, about, um, about your run and about your time, and about how, how sort of daunting it made the rest of the people that maybe had this goal in mind that they wanted to go try to break, um, you know, some of the more 32 hours, 31 hour marks. And then putting up a 2850 sure. was just kind of absurd. But, you know, then you kind of had Arnie and and Doug come out in the last uh, few months and, and you set a time that I think even like you and I were just blown away that that was possible. What do you kind of see? as being the floor of this right now. And, and, and do you think that you going out and setting a crazy time kind of made them believe and then their belief sort of made it possible to do a twenty seven twenty five? I mean, it almost is like, uh, you know, I, I'd kind of always equated it to like the X games and the X games progression of, you know, snowboarding jumps, Like no one's going to do a hundred foot jump. And then all of a sudden in six months, people are doing 300 foot jumps, you know?
1: Right. You know, it was kind of beyond the imagination of most people that had mentally explored the notion of cannonball to have beaten 30 hours, much less beaten 29. And so that kind of came out of nowhere. And I think no one had really built a mental framework to prepare for a time like that in terms of what kind of speed would be required, what kind of car would even be capable of it. And it became so clear that so many of the things that we couldn't have controlled went so well on that attempt that it might not be reproducible with even the same technology. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the kind of thing where we know we sat in traffic for an hour here. And so if we had that time back, like we would have dealt with this whole thing in a different way. None of those things were sort of left unanswered. There might've been like 10 to 15 minutes like that in that. So from that perspective, Arnie and Doug, they approached it saying we want the title. Like it's, it's not about the journey it's not about the you know the little bits of strategy it's not so much about you know why they're the right people for it like they just wanted to become what it took mm-hmm. and i mean that's a great approach to sport that's a great approach to competition but at the same time it was it was not them improving themselves to get to the point of competitiveness the way i probably was approaching it mm-hmm. it was all right, we're ready to, we're pulling out all the stops, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever we need, whatever team is required, that's what we're going to do. And that's what they did. They built by all approximations, the ultimate car that could be constructed in 2019. And they, they took all the strategies that we did and refined them to be more effective. And most significantly, they got a massive team together. So they had eighteen spotter cars out in yeah. front of them, which was clearly the biggest differentiator. Yeah. They did a better job executing on a lot of the things we tried, but that was the difference maker.
0: Yeah. Well, so kind of to that point about you, you know, weighing in and, and offering your advice and and sort of expertise that you would learn doing your run, how has and, and, and that being somewhat different from cannonball culture from before, being, you know, very competitive and and you know, not sharing, you know, call it industry secrets or whatever. Um, how has car culture, Cannonball culture, changed since you guys, since you broke it, and sort of the community that you've cultivated since?
1: Oh well, I knew that the desire to have friends that like this stuff would ultimately be the demise of my holding the record, mm-hmm. right? Because if if we foster this competitive spirit and we do these other drives. We get more people involved. We introduce them to each other, which was the case. I mean, I, you know, Arnie and Doug met at my house. So it's, it's one of these things where I knew that would be why my record was broken one day. And it was. And that's okay to me because the benefit to the community very much interests me more than holding the record forever. I never thought I'd hold it at all much less, you know, for uh, six years. And so I, you know, what Alex Roy did in holding the record from 2007 until when we broke it over the same period was the exact opposite. And that's not an indictment of him as a person. It was just the way that he played it was differently. And honestly, if he hadn't, the record would have been broken in 12 to 18 months. Because right. there was no evidence whatsoever that anyone had tried in earnest between uh, 2007 and 2013. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. find somebody out there saying they did 32.50 or you know at 34 hours anything at all. There was a rumor that a guy in a Volvo wagon had done a pretty respectable time somewhere in the 34s, but I couldn't find him, hear anything, read anything else about it. It was just kind of one of these wives' tales around you know the the people that kind of care because there wasn't like a, a group that you could join or, a you know, a Facebook group or a forum or anything where people were really talking about it that actively. And Alex had played it up as being just the most impossible task that he was the only person qualified to do, uh, knowing that his co-driver Dave Maher had considerably higher segment averages. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when, when we first talked to Corey Wells, who rode with them as a videographer to kind of document their drive. Uh, Dave Blatt, my co-driver, had had gotten to know her a little bit through the promotion of the video that she produced, 32 hours, 7 minutes, about their drive, and they were talking about it in Atlanta, screening and stuff. And so when he called her to tell her that we had broken the record, she said, oh, it was like two Maher's driving. Because, you know, Alex did all the planning, built the car, you know, created the infrastructure, and Maher just came and drove. Yeah. and and drove like a madman uh, very successfully. And so she always thought, well, if there were two Maher's, then the time falls immediately. Yeah. And since Dave and I both drove with kind of a similar strategy and, and willingness to go fast, that's what happened. Yeah.
2: Is there any uh, part of you that wants to go and try and break it again?
1: You know, I, I had no idea what it was going to feel like when this happened. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of went into it, uh, you know, you assumed I, I it was going to be broken at some try.
2: point, I assume, right?
1: I did. I didn't yeah. know. I, I honestly wasn't expecting it quite yet because mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting anyone to go to the length that Arnie and Doug did. I didn't even know. They, they kept a lot of those plans quiet, even from me. I knew when they were going, but I didn't know the massive network of people helping them that they had set up. And so, you know, watching it unfold – you know, you could use, you could attribute it to to that kind of infrastructure, and that's great. I mean, that was the that was the best way to go faster and be safer mm-hmm. that is available within a modern arsenal of of what you could deploy. And so they did it exactly the right way, and I'm I'm proud of them for that. And I'm mostly proud of them for being safe in doing so. But you know, I always view the you know the pursuit of something you've already had. As an everything to lose and nothing to gain, like I'm not the current record holder, but I held it. Right, and it's what mattered to me. And and when I look out over the landscape of what the cannonballing community is today, uh, I do feel you know partially responsible for what it is, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, probably sure. even more proud of of I uh, of that than I was the day after we just set the record and wondered if anybody would care.
0: And, <laughs> right.
1: So I I like, I like where it's at, um, you know, it's, it's a very clear blueprint moving forward and the, they encountered enough adversity in their drive. They spent two hours driving behind a police officer in Utah. I mean, there's, there are definitely areas where their time can be improved and it's just more spotters. Like that's all you do. And so at this point, you even decrease the investment in countermeasures and you increase the investment in other people's gas money. And you build up a, a great network. I mean, a group text works well. There's other software that would work better for collaborate, collaborating through a drive like this live. And so, you know, the next person to come out with 100 spotters will easily beat the record just because that's now the paradigm in which we are in.
0: Yeah, if you have just zero worry that you're going to see a copper or have to slow down for anything, you know, some car stopped on the side of the road, you Mm -hmm. can feel fine driving on those, driving at that speed for that amount of time.
1: Oh, exactly. There you could cruise 150, 60, 70 miles an hour in a fully capable 911 Turbo S or or a CL65 AMG or S65 coupe and, and, and go just fine. Like, no issues at all. You'd have teams at every gas station, so you're just out, you know, whatever. Because, I mean, imagine like 100 spotter cars, which is you know it's beyond 18 obviously but it's in the same vein is you know uh, a car every 28 miles so even if you were in a pursuit you're just going to tell the next spotter to stop and start doing donuts in the middle of the interstate and get a ticket for reckless driving and then you'll (laughs) pay their court fees and and just cruise on past. like there's no it's you'd be impervious to law enforcement at that point
0: yeah yeah create diversions
2: well, I've got a I've got a 2012 yep. Jeep Compass. I'm not saying I'm coming for the record, but uh,
0: <laughs> I have to there you know, go. got its oil there you changed go. recently.
2: So just watch out.
0: Um, We're ready for you. Yeah. Um, one other thing that we kind of mentioned and talked about in some of the interviews we did out in California that I found interesting was sort of looking at Cannonball over the next you know 20 30 years and looking at technology coming out from. Self-driving cars, electric cars. Do you th- and and also looking at climate change or how how we deal with consumption of oil and and will gasoline always cost um, you know basically throwaway money you know so it'll always be for um, you know a certain class of people that c- they can go out and do this I guess but do you kind of envision uh, Cannonball always being something for the everyman or is this sort of something that we are only going to be able to do for another. Ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years, or something.
1: Well, you know, it, it's impossible to say. I mean, w- w- we've always known that we are always six months away from speed cameras on every light pole. Yeah, and at that point, you know, you're talking about disguising cars and forging license plates, and, and it's it would be a whole different paradigm than the you know the Alex Roy era of insane preparation ours of you just go fast theirs to you build a massive team then it's you know spy games right right? so (laughs) we we don't know what that would mean but there's always gonna be a spirit in humanity of like how can we get from a to b as fast as we can and you know there's talk always of a remake of the movie And the moment that happens, I mean, you know, there was like a 700% spike in street racing deaths as soon as the first Fast and Furious movie came out. (laughs) So, you know, anytime you get such mainstream publicity for an idea and you make it seem more normal or less deviant or anything like that, like you're going to get more interest and you're going to get more attempts. And so whenever those things happen throughout the future, we're going to see – Resurgences and contractions of, of interest, and, and all of those are great. That's the cycle of of a public appetite for anything. Um, you know, it's so. Who knows when? I mean, I think as we see self driving cars. I mean, when I tell my grandkids that I drove across the country in twenty eight hours fifty minutes, they're gonna go. So you just got in and you press go to California <laughs> and it took you there. I mean, like like yeah. they, they probably even why know so slowly like to drive a car. So <laughs> exactly why? Yeah. Why would you wait? Like you stop a lot. You know? and so <laughs> it's. It'll be that kind of discussion. So who knows what the future holds, but I'm I'm glad to have been able to contribute in this chapter of it.
0: Yeah, I didn't think about having cameras, just having more cameras so they could at least take a picture of you and know how fast you were going and who was driving where. They don't necessarily have to catch you at that moment you have
2: yeah. to hire fewer spotters and more thugs with spray paint cans just to go around and black out the cameras. Right. Yeah.
0: It'd be good to go.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Hack the system. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be a whole different, different idea. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at most of Europe and there's no, they don't have police speed traps or, you know, traffic patrolling for speed. It's all either done by cameras or they really just don't care yeah. uh, until you crash. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so even in, even in countries that have speed limits, it's, it's either heavily enforced autonomously or it is not enforced yeah
0: right well uh i always want to maybe give our listeners something some way that they can uh stay in touch with you uh could you tell tell them about car stories and VinWiki just a little quick course quick segment
1: (laughs) sure well thank you for that and uh, (laughs) thank you all for the time and the interest in uh, this thing i love but uh, no anybody can follow me anywhere at ed bolian but also we have VinWiki. wiki it's uh Social version of Carfax, kind of a crowdsourced vehicle history reporting platform. That's a free app for iOS and Android. And then we've got a YouTube channel that we use to promote that, kind of tell the stories of cars. Me and my friends sit around telling our best car stories, and we release a new one every day on YouTube. So the channel is wiki V-I-N-W-I-K-I, and uh, hope you'll subscribe and check us out. We'll even get some. Uh, one day we'll get Michael down here to tell his cannonball and another car stories.
0: Absolutely, awesome. I'm, uh, I'm. That's one of my favorite YouTube channels. Yeah. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Ed, thanks so much for, for jumping on with us. And uh, thank awesome. Thank you. Excellent.
1: Thanks a lot.
0: Okay. Well, you know, uh, good luck with the continued growth of the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy the, uh, the new garage. That does it for this Tell Me More episode. Remember to come back this Friday to learn about two more topics. See you Friday.